This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Oi, let me in. I want a word with you. Oi, James, Trev, come on, come on, let me in. Right, use lot using my cookie theory. What's all that about? That's ridiculous. It's my cookie theory. Did you ask for permission? No. Let me in. I want to chat. Come on. You're not welcome at all to use my cookie theories. Yes, indeed, and welcome to episode 203 of the Doctor Who podcast. As you can tell, Trevor and I are joined by a rather angry guest. Hello, guest. Who are you, and what are you doing here? Hello, I'm Michael, host of the Tin Dog podcast, and I'm cross. Actually, I'm not really cross <laughs> at all. Um, I just thought I'd pop <laughs> along and talk about ooh, some Doctor Who, probably. Mm, well, why not? I was uh, rather put out that your theory is considerably better than anything that A, I've heard, or B, could have come up with myself. How about you, Trevor? Oh, I don't know about that. You wait till you hear mine this episode. My kooky theory is Ooh. a cracker. Oh, well, there's the mm. They're coming out the woodwork at the moment, these kooky theories, after months on end of not being able to postulate or speculate on what's going on in Doctor Who. All of a sudden, we've reached that point in the season where we're being drip-fed enough to come up with at least some fairly crazy theories. And, uh, and listeners... We want to hear what your kooky theories are as well. You're sending quite a lot in um, text emails, which is fantastic. But uh, we're an audio podcast. We much prefer audio feedback, of which we have received about three days worth, um, which is fantastic. <laughs> but we would like more. So as and when these episodes are transmitted, feel free to record your comments and your kooky theories and send them to feedback at the Doctor Who podcast. Com. But enough with the plugging. Michael, I suppose we've got to consider you a guest. So now that you've got the comfy chair and Trevor sitting on the floor, would you like to just tell us what you thought about Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS? Some things you don't want to know. They're on the move again. Run! Move! Move! I did actually enjoy this. Um, I wasn't scared out of my wits like I was last week. I wasn't put off by mispronunciations like I was last week. And uh, it was perfectly fine. I, there were some issues towards the end, which I'm sure we'll cover. It did come across as a cross between Zagreus from Big Finish, which nobody likes to talk about, and, well, just a few other things. But a lot of this season has come across as a few other things. You know, you're sort of sitting there going, spot the reference, and the design was straight out of Aliens, and the, you know, the um, completely out of Aliens. It's as if they sat down at the production meeting and went, 
aliens that's what we have to write in big letters on everything because you've got the the team of people all suited and booted and and then you've got the salvage bit from the beginning of the aliens film and you've got the android on board who's very human and again we'll sure we'll come back to all that but on board the tardis it was just very fanboy it was like let's tick all the boxes we can think of but worst of all there wasn't a ridiculous and pointless reference to tom baker for no reason you see, I want them all in the right order. I want my first doctor, then my second, then my third, then my fourth, then my fifth next week. I want a bit of celery or something, and then I don't know what we're going to get for Colin Baker. But no, you throw in a Christopher Eccleston chat halfway through. And then apparently, and I missed this, in episode one, there was a Tom Baker scoff. So they're not in the right order. I'm just going to stamp my feet like a frustrated fan. Can, can you imagine it? Stephen Moffat actually putting something out in the wrong order. Um, it's, it's unprecedented. Okay, Trevor, I'm going to make a prediction before you tell me what you thought of this, but I'm going to say you didn't like it that much. Well, before we get into what I thought or didn't think of this oh. episode, Tini, I will pick you up on one thing. There was a pointless Tom Baker reference in this story. Ooh. Do you remember when the salvage person was pulling apart the console? Yeah. Now, there was a clip from an unearthly child with Susan. Yep. And then straight after that, you could hear Tom Baker doing a line. Now, I couldn't pick at the time what story it's from. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's from Invasion of Time, to be perfectly honest. But there was a pointless Tom Baker reference in this story. Well, it, was, it was also a third Doctor. The third Doctor was just after Susan. Then you heard Tom Baker. So that was in order. And, um, and then you jumped all the way to the ninth Doctor. Ah, okay, there you I go. I think there you'll you find so, yeah. my problem is that I had the sound quite low on the TV and missed quite a few of those. So what I need to do is turn the volume up. Enough of this pointless talk. Back to me. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> what I thought of uh, this this episode, I it, it was a really, really interesting beast for me. I, I've been waiting for eight years for this new production team or teams to take us inside the TARDIS, take us beyond the control room. Now, they've given us these little tantalising things in the past during the uh, Tenet era, and they've even gone slightly down one corridor this season already. But in this story, we finally get to see what I think a lot of fans have been waiting for. Let's see inside the TARDIS. Now, I, I came away from this a mixture of extreme disappointment and absolute wonder. I think there are some fantastic things about the uh, journey through the TARDIS, and there are some incredibly woeful things. I'll, I'll start with the really good things. I loved the TARDIS library. I thought that looked really fantastic. I loved um, the, the Eye of Harmony room, I suppose you'll call it. Those big grandiose sets, which actually look like sets, worked really, really well. I mean, you walked in and there was a sense of wonder that this machine was, as the 11th Doctor says, infinite. What bits didn't work so well is when they basically had like a a poster at the end of a corridor like when when they showed the swimming pool or when they showed the the room with the giant telescope in it that seemed really tacked on you know they were trying to do a low budget way the the telescope was that the one from tooth and claw i i thought it was but looking at the map on the tardis scanner there was a little circle that said observatory so it could have been the doctors but it might have just been the same prop but I love the fact that you actually got to see the library and the swimming pool inside of about 10 seconds. Well, exactly. So. But like Trev says, they're just posters stuck at the end. A bit like Tom Baker's, that's the boot room. And you're going, that's CSO. That's not the boot room. So that's all that was. Yeah, yeah. 
There were some bits that really worked that gave you a wonderful sense of grandeur. But then there were some that made you think, well, maybe they've run out of money, but they still want to show a big TARDIS. But then they, they showed the TARDIS in some really, really intimate ways that I loved. Now, I've always been a big fan of the Invasion of Time uh, wander through the TARDIS with the brick walls and the hospital room. I, I think that that's really quite quaint and cute. And the bits that really work for me is when Clara's wandering through and she comes into that room... Um, which has, which I think it was the beginning of the library, and there is uh, the bassinet with the um, with the mobile hanging above it, the uh, mm. baby, yep. and I thought that 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 was a nice little touch, and and just all these little things that make the TARDIS look like a home, I think, work ah. really well. So the pointless Doctor Who reference this time was a callback to a story about a year ago. Oh, there were lots. Oh, of I know there were callbacks. There were. No, I was trying to <laughs> be funny. I really lots. was. There were lots. <laughs> now that yeah, that that's what worked really well for me. What didn't work for me was um, a lot of the scary elements. Like I said, I've been waiting eight years for the journey inside the TARDIS, and the production team presented us with this scary, claustrophobic place that you just don't want to be. For me, the TARDIS is the cornerstone of Doctor Who. It is a place of wonder. It is a box of wonder where, where magical things happen. But the production team here have filled it with monsters, crazy camera angles, smoke, destruction, and Star Trek-like corridors. And, and that didn't really work well for me. Um, it, it was an interesting counterbalance between you know the wonder they were trying to set up when Clara was wandering through the TARDIS compared to just these other bits that were trying to you know, convey fear and menace. Um, I think that was just to, necessary you know, the for the narrative. And salvage crew. It, that's all it was. You needed you needed another threat, and the um, what should we call them? Lava people. Um, the lava people were just. I mean, they, they weren't real in any sense, but they were real because they had to oppose a threat. Because the the threat of oh the TARDIS is going to explode is a bit like oh the Doctor's going to die to to a casual viewer. It's just not going to happen. So you're like oh it could all go horribly wrong. Well, actually, it probably won't. It, it removes that level, so you need an extra level of threat. And I thought it was yeah. I thought it was reasonably clever, being that the creatures were in fact themselves from the future. Being, I'm not really I sure I understood what that was all about, and maybe that's going to have payoff later in the season, perhaps about what these things actually were. Because first, they were trying to say that all these creatures. But first, the, but first, the Doctor was trying to say that all these creatures were Claras. They they were multiple Claras. But then, in the Eye of Harmony room, the two remaining salvage people turned into that co-joined lava monster. So I, I was a little bit confused about what these creatures actually were. I, I don't think it was particularly clear. I have to say, and neither do I like the idea that these burnt images of or burnt monsters essentially were running around the TARDIS being a threat and I, I, mm. I didn't think it made a great deal of sense either and um, I, I, I understand why they were trying to do it they were trying to bring the Clara mystery into it a little bit to say that you know your future is predestined you're going to die and you're probably going to be burnt what I didn't understand was if that was the case why would these monsters suddenly turn um, evil, if you like. Why would they try and kill individuals? And in one case, they they did kill the, the one of the salvage guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but for me, I, I didn't quite understand that element to it. I, I it felt as if they needed a threat, and they didn't quite know how to introduce it into a secure and safe environment like the TARDIS, and therefore they really really stretched. And I think they probably overstretched 
on that element. I, I have to say I'm, I'm in agreement with a lot of what Trevor says and I, I, I would say that this was a hugely anticipated story. Lots of fans who have been watching the show for a very long time have been waiting for a story set within the TARDIS and I have to say there were lots of nice little elements and there's lots of things that I want to pick up on and talk about but as a story, a complete story, I don't think it worked particularly well. Uh, I have a feeling this was intended to be fan service. This was meant to be an episode that's geared towards the fans slightly more than a normal episode, but it didn't quite work for me, I have to say. Perhaps that was the point of the monsters, because the fans are being serviced by a trip round and going, oh, look what we've done with the place. And your casual viewers being serviced by your monster threat. Narratively speaking, I can see sense, um, but but logic speaking, I can't because if the guy, or I'm guessing they're going to be bumped off by their own lava versions of themselves. Um, I'm not sure you get to see a doctor version of the la- of a lava monster, and also if the guy who gets killed off by a lava monster is killed by his own lava monster, who's basically just trying to warn him, "Don't go down there. Just get out while you can. It's all going to go pear shaped. You'll turn into me." And he kills him in the process because he's made of liquid flesh, which is my reading of it. That doesn't make sense because he's not actually going to be liquid flesh because he's not in the Eye of Harmony room. So that makes logically even less sense. Remind me in future, just after watching a very convoluted episode of Doctor Who, not to record with you, Michael, because I'm now doubly confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, dragging it back to the story... I don't think we needed the lava monsters there. I mean, wasn't there enough going on already anyway with the Doctor and the Salvage crew searching for Clara, with the recursive TARDIS type of thing? Perhaps. With the uh, possibility of of the TARDIS trying to explode? Um, Wasn't that enough to be going on with for like a 45-minute episode? I think they needed a tangible threat. I think someone said, we need a monster. And, you know, at the moment the story is devoid of a monster and we need something that's going to be a physical threat to keep people at the edge of their seats, mm-hmm. possibly target a, a younger age group. Um, I, I don't think it was necessary either. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning of um, uh, your comments, Michael, that this was alien. I, I didn't get that, I have to say. I, I think the corridors themselves were quite disappointing. The kind of feel I got to this was, was Firefly and the actual ship, Serenity. It felt like mm-hmm. an industrial <laughs> kind of ship, yeah, I, I can if you see know what that. I mean. It was more um, and- the gunship from Aliens. It looked very similar to the salvage ship. Yeah, I, mean, um, I think the concept certainly yeah. is, is is very similar, but the real the real hark back I got, or if there was any homage being paid, was to the um, the rescue that Luke and uh, Han <laughs> affected in the wow. Death Star. Do you remember the kind of pentagonal corridor yeah. where uh, Princess Leia was being held hostage? Now that for me that 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 was almost identical. I I, I thought that the the first time I saw the TARDIS corridor, I, I just couldn't get that out of my head, yeah, and uh, but, yeah. but particularly. At the end as well, um, where they ended, found themselves on the precipice. Mm. You know, you remember when they're having chases yeah. through the Death Star, and they suddenly mm. run up mm. on the um, uh, the big pit that they end up swinging over. I just thought that that that's what it that scene started off like, mm. and it was resolved by the scene out of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where they had to step into nothing. There's been a lot of Indiana Jones nods this season. I, really it's has. not just Indiana Jones. I mean, maybe we're looking looking for these things too, too much. But, uh, I mean, e- even with the whole Doctor unburdening himself, saying, who are you? What are you, Clara? Why are you such a mystery? And then having at the end this big reset button, a literal big reset button, that, for me, was Superman yeah. 2. It was a case of saying, yeah... <laughs> we- 
I'm going to tell oh, you, Lois on, Lane. James. No, no, listen, listen to this. This works, right? I'm going to tell you, Lois Lane, who I am, and then I'm going to give you a big, big kiss, and you're going to forget everything. And, and, and once again, that's exactly what we saw here. I don't think we saw much originality in this episode at all, I have to say. Is the reason that Trevor isn't happy with this because in, in the bottom line of the whole story is that it didn't happen? No. Because of the reset switch, no. the entire time is reset. Nothing affects anything. The only people who are changed are the brothers on board the ship and probably the Doctor will remember things because he's timey-wimey. Clara won't. She forgets his name, which obviously is going to come back to bite everyone in, what, three weeks' time? I, I don't necessarily mind the big reset switch because this is a show about Doctor Who to me, despite what the production crew often try and tell you. Uh, and that the Doctor remembers what happens is fine by me because it, it, it's part of his ongoing quest to find out who Clara really is. As far as he's concerned, he knows more. He's developed so that's that's fine by me. I, I I don't mind that the rest of the characters reset, and probably in some way it's good that the Clara character reset because um, you know then then that leaves room for more amazing revelations and companions looking shocked down the track. Last week, James said that uh, the Doctor is still in his head on his cloud, right? And I think this week is the time when he steps off. He's he's now got it sorted through Hyde that she's an ordinary girl. We've now got that into our heads, and. He's now accepted her as the companion. When he's talking about salvage of a lifetime, she's his salvation of his lifetime. <laughs> she's basically saved him. Yes. So that's what that line meant to me. I like what you Was did that, there. So, yeah. yeah, I can see your point completely. The Doctor is now not on his cloud. He's now in the story. He's in there. So, yeah, maybe it wasn't the big reset switch. We're used to that sort of thing, especially during the Tenant era. We can let it off. I, I really think, though, he is setting himself up for a bigger fall because... He's gone back into a sense of complacency. He thinks he knows who Clara is now. And there's got to be more to this. And that might probably tie into my little... Kooky theory. Of the week. I'll just come right out and say it. I think Clara is a TARDIS. Or more correctly, I think Clara is the TARDIS. A future incarnation of the TARDIS or even a past incarnation of our beloved Type 40. Now, the reasons for that are as follows. Within this particular story, we had uh, the, the, the concept which I'm taking as infinite recursion, which was basically a TARDIS inside a TARDIS. Now, that was from the original classic series stories, Logopolis, where the Master's TARDIS was inside the Doctor's TARDIS. And they had a whole episode where they basically travelled from TARDIS TARDIS to TARDIS to TARDIS, trying to get out of this infinite loop, basically. Now, I think because of the crash, something's gone awry, we have a TARDIS inside a TARDIS, i.e. Clara inside the TARDIS. That's what caused the problem with Clara being unable to return properly to the original control room. This is a variation on infinite recursion. Now, now we've already seen this season Clara's attempts to try and get along with the TARDIS. Um, you know, the, the, the TARDIS shut her out in Rings of Akatan. It, it doesn't seem to want to talk to her at one other point. Um, and it actually leaves during Cold War. Now, I think that they are the same TARDIS, just different, let's say, incarnations. Because they seem to be acting the same way that different incarnations of the Doctor carry on. They don't really like each other, but they begrudgingly accept each other and they help each other during times of crisis, which is exactly what Clara and the TARDIS are doing right now. So I think Clara is the TARDIS. I think it's as good a reason as, as or good a theory as any. It hadn't crossed my mind, 
I've, I've always liked the idea of having a humanoid TARDIS ever since they invented that in the uh, BBC books, what must be a hundred years or so ago now. But uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm certainly not convinced. But I'm, I'm not prepared to dismiss it out of hand just yet. And I think one of the things, one of the things that this particular story definitely sets up is that whatever the mystery is concerning Clara, it's within her personal future, because that's where you had the yeah. uh, the heat monsters or the uh, the Tardis monsters, whatever you want to call them. Something that I thought was an ood originally, um, when you first saw the image in the background. But I'm I'm not I'm not so sure as to whether we are supposed to think Clara is anything out of the ordinary at this moment in time. Um, but one of the things I certainly wanted to, to, to mention here uh, was was um, the guest cast. And I guess it is kind of connected to the stuff that we're discussing, given that both Clara and the salvage crew turn into these strange monsters uh, towards the end of the programme. But weren't weren't they, I think, uniformly... Bad actors. Um, I don't think there was a particularly good performance there. I think the standout dire performance was from Marco Oliver or Mark Oliver, the guy who played Bram. Um, I, I just thought his his performance. Maybe, maybe I missed something uh, that was supposed to be a very subtle performance or something, but I just thought it was dire. Was he meant to be the android? Sorry, I only pay attention to like what I see on the screen. Now. I I get I, I give up looking at the who played who, so we, he was the younger brother, so he was the tallest of all three guest cast. Yeah, I was going to say let's go for tall, short, and android. <laughs> okay, this was tall then. <laughs> tall in particular, I thought was 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 very bad. I think too maybe half the problem was that the the characters weren't really fleshed out, and 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 there was no time to do it because they weren't really the focus of the episode. Um, so we ended up with three characters that, while they were meant to have different personalities and different traits, at the end of the day they really weren't that different. Um, just from you know like a characterization point of view, there, there there wasn't enough time there to really really make them distinctive, and they killed one off pretty quickly. Then we had the big revelation at the end that, hey, you're not an android, you're actually a real boy. Was the revelation about him not being an android one of the worst revelations you've heard since the android invasion? Yes, very unconvincing. Wasn't that terrible? Sure, the guy didn't have a brain, and like all he had was different eyes, a different voice box, didn't he? And he had amnesia. Yeah, and apparently it was a joke. And and it was a joke. I mean, how can a person think they're an android when they've only got robotic eyes and a, a robotic voice box. The rest of them is flesh and blood. I mean, surely when the guy was getting hungry and about close to death and realised he had to eat, you think something would have twigged in that amnesiac brain of his that he's not an android. That had to be the worst thing since Android Invasion with Guy Crawford and the eye patch. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. It, it it didn't work full stop. I mean, if you look right at the very beginning in the opening shot, which was brilliant, incidentally, I love the spaceship that uh, that the whole episode opened yeah. with. But there was a photograph of the dad and two sons, and at the very very end of the episode, you saw a photograph of the dad with three sons. So I wasn't certain what this big reset button had done. Was it actually a reset button, or had the doctor changed? events and so you know this additional android character he, was a member of the family he changed the no, he no. changed the captain brother um to 
I, I suppose, have more respect for his supposed android brother. And they showed that scene at the end where he said, hey, hey, hang on, don't, don't sort of treat him like that. And they went straight to the undamaged photograph then. So originally they said, you're an android, we're, we're going to have fun, we're on this long cruise because, you know, we're bored and we'll call you an android. But the events of the story did leave some effect on the captain brother ah. and they didn't rip the photo and they started treating him with a bit more respect was that what it was sorry trevor because i missed yes. that then so yes. they they'd, yes. right yeah, yeah. okay now i thought the photograph had changed somehow but there was there was it was ripped initially it had was changed it? but yeah well it, it was no it, longer ripped yeah so. it wasn't ripped in, in the original photograph the android brother was taken off that photograph it was ripped out of the corner well wonderful well then recording with you two has actually enlightened me so thank you very much <laughs> indeed for that we aim to please <laughs> okay but it was still terrible though. i mean oh just because you've got a robotic arm I mean, you, you're not suddenly an android and you don't suddenly think you're an android. That that was terrible. No, I, I thought the story, or that element of the story, was one, fairly inconsequential, and two, it was badly done. It was convoluted, or at least it was to me. And I, I didn't think that it was meant to be the main focus of the episode. It was supposed to be the TARDIS. And I think as fans, then, of course, we're going to be wanting to look around the TARDIS itself. And, and we saw quite a few interesting rooms, as you've already mentioned. I mean, this big tree with light bulbs on the bottom of it which I, I understood, if the explanation um, is, is, is clear, we could invent anything, practically. It was a machine to build other machines. To me, that sounded like we were looking at the chameleon circuit itself. Now, that makes a lot of sense. The, the, the actual mm. thing that does the reconfiguration of the TARDIS itself. And, and I think that was borne out when, when that guy ripped one of the globes out the TARDIS reconfigured the wall behind him so they couldn't get out. Mm, some kind of architectural redesign thingamajig. And again, that was on yeah. the map of the TARDIS on a scanner as well. Yeah. Okay. Right, Trevor, now last time we recorded, I, I went through a whole list of callbacks and you were pretty much totally unimpressed. So I'm going to do the same this time and hopefully get a bit more of a positive response from you. Now, we've already mentioned this a little bit, but the crib that we saw in A Good Man Goes to War... Did you did you have yes. a smile of realization and go oh did your did your little fan heart jump at that point? Like I said before, I I, I think that was a really nice touch. It, it was dwelled on just long enough Wonderful. to uh, make it interesting, but Good. it wasn't laboured upon. It was very nice. Yes, the model Tardis from Amy's bedroom. Oh yeah, there you go. That ties into my kooky theory as well. She picked up the Tardis and looked at it knowingly, like, mm -hmm. hey, we're related. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the magnifying nice. glass. What story? Oh, are you going to tie that into like Talons of Windshine? I am indeed. That's absolutely uh, right. Okay. Yes. You're reaching, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Just a the umbrella. Uh, any Seventh Doctor story with an umbrella in it? I think it was a Seventh Doctor story or Seventh Doctor umbrella. Not entirely certain. Well, sorry. Hang on. Missed the umbrella. Uh, was the umbrella multicolored? Because no, be all you Doctor saw umbrella. was a handle. You only saw the handle. You didn't see the um, the cover of the umbrella. Was it a question mark? It umbrella? seems like it was. Yes, that was directly after he was playing. Or Cla sorry, Clara was playing with the um, with the uh, Tardis that he picked up from Amy's Amy's bedroom. And we've already mentioned the observatory and the uh, sorry the Amy's bedroom. Well, like Adric's bedroom sort of thing. Like that would be the room where Amy's bedroom was. But you didn't no, no, see no, no. Beds. I wasn't talking about the bedroom in a TARDIS. I mean, her bedroom in the house when she was uh, very small. She made raggedy doctors. I understand. And stuff, and yeah, and a TARDIS with the wrong it. number of squares. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. That's absolutely right. Yes. Well, the library then. The library. We we kind of saw lots of encyclopedias in liquid form uh, about Gallifrey. 
I think it was called. Yeah, I, that was so it Harry was, Potter. Wasn't it? Was That's exactly that what I thought at the time. It felt like some kind of um, classroom at Hogwarts, and I think the label had something like Encyclopedia Gallifrey written on it in uh, English. Okay. In English, well, the crib. No, that'll be your TARDIS translation. No, no, the, the crib had Gallifreyan there. text on it. Yet the bottles had, you know, alphanumeric English words on it. Mm. Should we talk about the big bad in the room? Now that we're in the library, yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Oh, I, what know we're, I know yeah, where we're going, but I that. thought somebody else would mention that one. <laughs> There's either two possibilities: the production team is playing with us, or there is actually something to this, and they're setting up something for the end of the year that we might get a bit more time war explanation, perhaps. I think I was going to say I think no, what this is it. This is all the time war explanation we're going to get. I was half expecting the time war history to be a completely blank. <laughs> I was expecting yes. it to be opened and there would be absolutely nothing there because it's all been gone but the fact that it's in a time protected thing that you hear about on big finish all the time it's the only place that we're in and it has to have been written by the doctor the only survivor no it doesn't no it doesn't it it, it could be written by the dalek <laughs> which is unlikely admittedly or it could be written by a passive observer and there's been lots of alien races who are aware of the time war but yes. didn't take part and weren't annihilated. I think the Gelf is an example. More likely, I've just realised this, that it's actually... River Song. Um, that, no, no, even better than that. It's actually been written by a fan and it's been published no. by <laughs> Norwegian <laughs> Yes. Yes, it's not. It's not. Laws, I think it's probably uh, River Song. But you know what I mean. It's although, <laughs> but maybe, maybe this is the next incarnation of River Song's diary. And grew it <laughs> about three times in size. Yeah, to be fair. But then again, you've got the doctor's name written down, which is nice. And it didn't make her head explode. It was just a mm. name. And also she said words, it was, was in it. the bottom corner, which was implying it was quite a short name. name. So I'm my, my money. <laughs> the doctor is a footnote to history. Yeah, my, name, like. my money's on Clive. <laughs> <laughs> I really want the doctor to be called Clive. Anyway, to continue my list, or should I say con conclude my list... Please, the, feel um, free. The one additional piece of um, compelling evidence that we have seen the reason why the TARDIS has exploded was because everything was resolved through a crack, or albeit a vertical crack, in the TARDIS that didn't look dissimilar to the Season 5 crack. Yes, as I've said before, James, probably in, in slightly different words, a crack is a crack. So it, it, it did occur to me it might have been the 11th hour crack, but I actually went and compared the cracks, and that crack from that episode looks nothing like the crack from this episode, apart from being crack-like and apart from glowing out of its crack. Mm. Well, it's always a good idea to visit comparethecrack.com. And you can compare as many cracks as you want on that particular well, website. And you can break them useful. out of ten, too. Um, you know this whole referencing back thing? Um, a different theory from, from there being actual things from the stories and a lot more prosaic is that imagine the writers meeting, they're all sitting down, and they go, right, we've got eight episodes, let's do stories like, as in the style of, the Doctors of the time. So you've got your base under siege story as a theme as a as a concept as a feel for the episode for story two and but story one is your first doctor feel 
you've got your strange alien races, you've got something weird going on, you've got people... Oh, you mean Akatan, the story two. And you've got them stretching them. <laughs> it's yeah, a Akatan, very confusing story numbering two. Sorry, system this year. I meant, yeah. Well, I've gone for episode, story two, 2013, because I've given up on series 7B, because even the people at the BBC are going, it's a new series, and you're going, well, are you sure? You told us you weren't, you're lying, aren't you? So I've just gone for that. But yeah, the first story of Clara's journey, you've got that. So it's like a feel. And that's why you've got your invasion of time wandering around a TARDIS feel. It's like they sat the writers down and went, what do you remember? What's one of the things that comes to mind when you think of the fourth Doctor? What did they do that no one else did that would be wander around the TARDIS? You didn't see that anywhere else. Or you saw it once in a while during the Davison era, but that was mainly movable corridors. And that's... That was something else that I, I think, thought they I might think be to doing. use one of Trevor's phrases, that might be a stretch. I, I like the idea, <laughs> and I certainly think when they all sat down originally, they decided to make every single story as different as possible and standalone and unique with this with this mm. arc running through it. But uh, every story we've seen so far, all five episodes of Seven B, I'm going to carry on using Seven B. It's just too confusing otherwise. Of a very Yay. very different from each other. And even Hyde, you know, which lots of people compared to the fourth Doctor Philip Hinchcliffe era. It, it for me, you know, it, it didn't immediately shout out Hinchcliffe. It just said, right, this is a slightly different take on a horror story that we've kind of retconned back to thinking, yeah, they're paying homage to the Hinchcliffe era. I don't think that's the case. This particular story, for me, again, is pretty unique. There's nothing you can compare it to, and I, I think certainly with all of these new developments that they talked about in this episode too, like the, the, the shadow, the TARDIS, or was it the shadow, was it the echo, where you can have multiple different versions of the same TARDIS within the same TARDIS. I, that, that, for me, was just inventing MacGuffins and certainly doesn't homage anything apart from stories that don't make a great deal of sense. So, uh, I mean, in, 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 in summary, for me, this episode felt as though it was... It, it was nodding to the past in certain scenes but it was almost totally independent of the story that it was trying to tell and when you look at the story it was trying to tell for me it was confusing and didn't quite feel as if it was satisfactory or or satisfying and uh, I'm I'm overall slightly disappointed with this I was hoping they were going to make a TARDIS story I, I, in fact, it's strange. I don't even know what I was hoping for, but this wasn't it, which makes me feel like I'm Maybe a particularly grateful fan. But uh... well, none of that. I think you've completely hit it on the head. None of us out there at all knew what we wanted. We all knew we wanted stories set inside the TARDIS. We all wanted to see inside the TARDIS and go around. But then you've got to tack on a plot to get us to do the wandering around. You can't just have a sort of through the keyhole or lifestyles of the rich and famous thing where somebody all cribs, where somebody's wandering around going, and this is where the magic happens. Because... Because that's, that's what we want as fans. But it would be so boring, Saturday night, primetime TV, of just wandering around going, look at the pool, isn't it great? Right, film in another location. This is the library, isn't it great? Yes, it is. Here's a history of the time war. Yes. Ooh. That's what we want. But we'd be so disappointed because we're stupid and terribly hard to please. Because I tell you, there would be nothing worse than Doctor Who basing one of its episodes around a reality TV show. That would be the worst <laughs> thing to do ever. Um, that, that, that was going to be my next question to you guys, and, and you probably won't be able to give me an answer after what you just said. Having seen the episode now, is the interior of the TARDIS what you expected, or, or, or did it live up to expectations, or did you think it would be something different 
once we got past that main console room? Half and half for me, I would say. It, for me, this, the TARDIS has never looked more like a spaceship or a space station you know, than it did in this episode. Even The Doctor's Wife, where you just had two or three corridors that were basically pretty bland and boring, I felt worked slightly better. For me, I, I think if they were trying to portray the TARDIS as a sentient being with a personality, then they needed to do more than just have a bunch of corridors and a doctor talking to his companions and co-stars saying, oh, the TARDIS is going to go into a huff now. Because the only reason why you're led to believe that the TARDIS has a personality is the way the doctor talks about her. And that's that's not good enough for me. You need to be shown that the TARDIS has a personality and a will of her own. And I, I think it probably... I think that probably was the biggest failing for me. The TARDIS just felt like a machine. Yeah, I think I think the only time, like I said before, where it actually showed that it was a sentient being was when it blocked the uh, scavenger's exit from the what I'm going to call the chameleon circuit room, um, <laughs> where, where it actually changed the configuration behind them. So yeah, that yeah, but I would probably agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been nice to see more about the heart of the TARDIS. That chameleon circuit room that you want to call it, um, it reminded me of something, and I'm desperately trying to remember what it is. And I think, and call me old-fashioned, it's the Tree of Life from North Mythology. There's drawings of it dating back sort of, well, more than what, one and a half thousand years. And um, there's an example of it in the film Thor, uh, carved into the wall, where it's it's a tree with very large bulbous fruit and mm. everything springs from that. And it kind of rang a lot of bells well, of that, but that's just the classicist in me who I try to keep beaten well, up. For, for me a little bit, if, if we really try to draw analogies, I think it's possibly the tree of, uh, of good and evil from the Garden of Eden where the doctor says, do not touch that fruit. And what does he do? Touches the fruit, you know, and, and chaos ensues. I think that probably brings us to the end of our review of Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, possibly the most anticipated episode of season 7B so far. And I think... It's true to say that it's been met with a fairly lukewarm-ish reaction from the DWP camper van on this occasion. Michael, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us here today. It must be a little bit strange having people talk back at you. It's bizarre. It's like having my own podcast. <laughs> but like you're here and you're talking back, which is kind of what I imagine happening. But anyway, thank you so much for letting me come in and indeed letting me sit on your lovely chairs. It's an absolute pleasure. Trevor, it's been fun recording with you as always. One final thing, listeners. I mentioned right at the top of the episode that you've been so prolific in sending in your feedback and you have. And that's wonderful. Let me ask you one additional favour. If you're going to be recording some feedback for us, can you please send us in an intro as well? Because we're clean out of them, more or less, now. And feel free to be as innovative as you like uh, with, with saying those words. And you will hear yourself, possibly, on a future edition of the Doctor Who podcast. I, I think that's it, gents, isn't it? Trevor, have I missed anything out? No, no, I, I think so. All we need to do is say send in your... Oh, we've already said that, haven't we? Bye-bye, <laughs> 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 James, and bye-bye, uh, Tinny. We'll um, all talk to you very soon, I suppose. Absolutely. Bye for now, everybody. Be seeing you. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. 
If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.